It's time. Time for what, you might ask? It's time to optimize your health and upgrade your life. Cutting-edge research, biohacks, ancestral wisdom, wellness, intuition, and more. This is The Synthesis of Wellness. Your host and biohacker Chloe Porter has a background in engineering, innovation, and research. Her analytical background coupled with her journey in overcoming a brain tumor and defeating several chronic illnesses enables her to approach health and wellness in an innovative way. And now more than ever, she is ready to share her biohacking secrets and expose cutting edge research. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. If you're new, welcome. I am Chloe Porter, and I'm really glad to have you guys tuning in today. So a quick update. I am actually partnered with the Biohacking Congress that is taking place in Miami, Florida from October 20th to the 22nd, I believe. And of course, I will be there since I am a partner of the event. But if you are attending and you want to meet up, totally reach out to me or DM me on Instagram. I would absolutely love to connect with you. And if you're wanting to go and you do still need a ticket to go, also reach out to me because I can get you a pretty good discount so yeah, just reach out and I'd be happy to help with that. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into today's episode. So I got some great feedback from you guys on the last peptides episode I did, which was on a peptide called MOTS-C. And because of that, I wanted to provide some more information about some cool peptides, specifically bioregulator peptides. So let's first do a quick review of what a peptide is, though I'm sure you know. Peptide is a short chain of amino acids. One of the key differences, though, between a bioregulator peptide and some other peptides like you know, BPC-157, for example, is the fact that bioregulator peptides are typically only two to four amino acids in length, while, for example, BPC-157 has 15 amino acids. So these bioregulators are much smaller. They are di-tri-tetrapeptides, two, three, four amino acids. And their size, according to many researchers, is really quite advantageous because it allows them to more easily permeate through the cell membrane and even the nuclear membrane in order to reach 
the DNA and genetic material in the cell. So before we get into the nitty gritty of these bioregulator peptides, I do also want to mention that they work to bring the body, more specifically, to bring an organ system back into balance. Because as you'll really shortly see, these bioregulators are very specific to certain tissues or organs. So you could use the following analogy, basically, that herbs are to adaptogenic herbs, just as peptides are to bioregulator peptides. For example, a bioregulator peptide extracted from thyroid tissue would exert a thyroid, or excuse me, would exert a tissue-specific effect on the thyroid gland cells and basically enable the restoration of the disturbed thyroid tissue function. So again, whether or not the thyroid is over or underactive, the bioregulator peptide would help in bringing that thyroid cell back into balance either way. So with that really brief overview, I think we are ready to start really just diving into how these bioregulator peptides have unique tissue-specific effects. And to start that conversation, we do need to remember that all cells in the human body essentially contain the exact same DNA. So if all cells have the same DNA, then why aren't all cells within the human body the exact same? That is a result of gene regulation. Remember that gene regulation is how a cell controls which genes out of the many in its genome are turned on or expressed or turned off or silenced. So thanks to this gene regulation, each cell type in your body has a different set of active genes. And for the sake of clarity throughout this episode, you can really just think that as think of this as the epigenetic regulation of cellular differentiation. And that just means that the differentiation of our cells, such as those early day embryonic cells, undergo really a more permanent gene silencing or activation. That's in order to allow for that cellular differentiation. And that's a very crude description of what actually goes on, but I wanted to talk about this because I wanted to make the distinction that there is a very big difference between this more permanent gene regulation that allows for cellular differentiation and the more easily reversible gene regulation that allows cells of a certain type to express or silence genes which will therefore impact that cell's actual functional activity. Now, in today's discussion, know that we're mainly focused on the gene regulation that impacts a cell's functional activity. But going forward, just remember that gene expression mediates cell differentiation in addition to the actual functional activity of the cell and even things like apoptosis. 
So with all of that said, let's go back to these bioregulator peptides. Remember that we discussed how these peptides are typically two to four amino acids in length and are therefore really quite small. And in that same conversation, I even started to mention that this short length trait of theirs was very advantageous because in comparison, these larger peptides can't as easily get through the cell membrane. In fact, because these specific bioregulated peptides are so small, they can even get through the nuclear membrane and reach the cell's DNA. So you might be able to see where we're going with all this. So now, because these short bioregulator peptides are able to interact with DNA regions because they can access that DNA, they can essentially assist in gene regulation and therefore gene expression or gene silencing. So more specifically, they affect the condition of the genome in order to assist in expressing certain genes related to the synthesis of certain proteins. And many of these proteins, of course, alter the physiological functions of the organism as a whole. So how exactly do these tiny bioregulator peptides affect the condition of the genome? One way that has been published within the literature is that through the peptide DNA interactions, the peptide can bind to those histone proteins. And by binding to the histone proteins, it can increase the transcription availability within the gene promoter zone. And if you remember going back to episode 24, um, talking all about epigenetics, we know that histone protein modifications can either repress or express certain genes. So putting this all together, very simply stated, what we have here is the small bioregulator peptide binding to a histone protein, which then promotes the expression of a certain gene within that genetic material. And because of this unique bioregulator peptide to DNA interaction, the peptide can only activate the expression of genes characteristic of the phenotype of the corresponding subpopulation of cells of a given tissue. In other words, the bioregulator peptide is very tissue specific. Now, with all of that said, before diving into some different bioregulators, I do want to provide you with a quick overview of how these things were discovered along with the terminology that is sometimes used when talking about bioregulators. This is really to give you guys a little context um, on these bioregulator peptides and, and the terminology, you know, to really help you understand what they're doing within the body. So early on, researchers knew that it was very important to study the mechanisms underlying the regulation 
of, you know, age-related changes in homeostasis characterized by peptides. This is because many of the experiments at that time revealed that aging is associated with the suppression of the synthesis of regulatory peptides, which ultimately, of course, leads to the suppression of various functions in aging organisms. So it really all began with this recognition that these important regulatory peptides do decline with age. And a famous scientist, Vladimir Kavinson, who was engaged in studying of the role of peptides in regulation of these mechanisms of aging, he was a scientist known for the discovery, experimental, and clinical studies of these peptide bioregulators, as well as for the development of bioregulating peptide therapy. Now, in order to meet this scientific need for combating the decline in these bioregulating peptides, they really began by extracting these peptides from animal tissue. So peptide bioregulators were actually initially isolated from the pineal gland, the thymus, and the hypothalamus. Then they were isolated from things like the vessel wall, bone marrow, various parts of the central nervous system, the retina, the lens, endocrine glands, placenta, the placenta membranes, the heart, various regions of the GI tract, kidneys, liver, lungs, bronchi, cartilage, bone, bladder, parotid glands, submandibular glands, erythrocytes, leukocytes, thrombocytes, blood plasma, lymph, etc. But I wanted to name all of those because it's important to see just how many different organs and organ systems and tissues that these peptides were originally long ago in these initial studies extracted from. So these substances that were isolated from all of those various tissues were called peptide bioregulators or cyto cytomides. There are different spellings of that word um, because it's not used as much anymore. So just know that the cyto stands for cell in Greek and the Latin mediator meaning transmitter. So that kind of makes sense as to why they named them that. But we're going to call them bioregulators because that's what is seen nowadays. And of course, after Kavinson, this famous scientist, and the researchers saw how those extracted peptide bioregulators could participate in the regulation of things like gene expression and therefore the synthesis of the proteins, Kavinson then suggested the method of creating synthetic peptide bioregulators based on analyzing the amino acid composition of the peptide extracts isolated from the animal tissues. And of course, these synthetic bioregulator peptides were 
synthesized such that they were two to four amino acids in length. So in the literature, I've seen some researchers make the distinction between the extracted bioregulator peptides and the synthetic bioregulator peptides by using the term cytogen to describe the synthetic version. Though it's really important to note here, other researchers really disregard that since that's technically a brand name, that cytogen is kind of that developed brand name for many of these synthetic bioregulator peptides. So moving on now, let's go ahead and dive into some of these bioregulator peptides and talk about them. There are several. I want to say a little over 20, so we're not going to go through all of them, but we will hit several. So starting off with thymogen. Thymogen was originally extracted from the calf thymus, thymus gland, but later synthesized. So again, remember the difference between the extracted and the synthesized version. So it was later synthesized using the glutamic acid tryptophan sequence of amino acids. So this bioregulator peptide is a dipeptide. We've only got those two amino acids. And since we know from our discussion earlier that these bioregulators are tissue specific, it is really pretty unsurprising that thymogen has several immunomodulatory effects. In fact, um, many experimental studies um, using thymogen showed that thymogen restored T and B systems of immunity in animals with immunodeficiencies. So thymogen has also, also in many studies, it is shows to possibly increase the cell signaling in immune cells, decrease levels of pro-inflammatory cytokines, so basically reduce inflammation, and a lot more. So many of those effects are due to the fact that thymogen helps regulate gene expression, resulting in the proliferation and differentiation of certain lymphocyte populations. All in all, though, much of the research and experimental use of this peptide in particular highlights its role in helping to combat pre-existing states of immunodeficiency. With that said, many clinics that provide this bioregulator thymogen peptide do state that it is most often used for things like infections, injuries, um, acute or chronic inflammatory uh, diseases, autoimmune diseases, acute or chronic exposure to ionizing radiation, and even toxic xenobiotics. So those are those environmental toxins. So let's move on now to another bioregulator peptide called epitalon. 
This is a synthetic derivative of the extracted epithalamine. And this epithalamine is a polypeptide complex isolated from the pineal gland. So early studies using this extracted version showed many things, but probably one of the most notable to date is associated with lifespan. In fact, using this extracted um, early version of epitalon, um, they administered it five times per week for 20 weeks to female rats after the age of 3.5 months. And the result of the study was pretty interesting because it showed an extended lifespan by 25%. So with all that research underway, the synthetic version, epitalon, was later synthesized and as a tetrapeptide, it consists of the following amino acid sequence, alanine, glutamic acid, aspartic acid, and glycine. So using this peptide sequence, this synthetic peptide, one study showed that epitalon increased the enzymatic activity of an enzyme called telomerase and therefore led to telomere elongation. And remember that telomeres are those little caps at the end of our chromosomes and they shorten as we age due to cell replication. And this shortening leaves the DNA more susceptible to damage, which is definitely not a good thing and is definitely a hallmark of aging. So now going back to this study, the study attributed this increased activity of telomerase and telomere elongation to epitalon's ability to activate the expression of the telomerase gene in somatic cells. So as a result, they think its use may increase the possibility of prolonging the lifespan of a certain cell population and thus the lifespan of the whole organism. Also, do note that epitalon has other uses and effects, such as those related to the immune system, but I would say its so-called anti-aging effects are probably the most notable. Okay, so let's move on and let's now go ahead and talk about cortigen. Cortigen is a tetrapeptide synthesized from the extracted version cortexin. So cortexin was extracted and isolated from gray matter, so in the brain. Pretty cool. And going back to the fact that these bioregulators have tissue-specific effects, both cortexin and that synthesized version cortigen have been shown to enhance the efficiency of neuroprotective therapy for chronic cerebral ischemia. So the introduction of cortigen 
as well as cortexin during seven days of the post-ischemic period prevented the loss of certain behavioral patterns and even promoted the restoration of individual behavior in animals. So that that is pretty significant when it comes to neuroprotection. Also in humans, cortigen, so that synthesized version, demonstrated a pronounced therapeutic effect upon the structural and functional post-traumatic recovery of peripheral nerve tissue. So all in all, what we're seeing is we see lots of central nervous system benefits, which makes sense considering our previous conversations on tissue-specific effects. Okay, let's move on now again and talk about pancreatin. This is a tetrapeptide consisting of the amino acid sequence lysine, glutamic acid, aspartic acid, and tryptophan. So one study was motivated by the fact that the increase of the elderly within our demographic structure of today's modern society is one of the main reasons for the increase in the number of patients with type 2 diabetes and even impaired glucose tolerance meaning that they were motivated by the fact that people are living longer and we therefore have more elderly individuals with poor pancreatic function as a result of aging. And this could contribute, of course, to an increased prevalence in impaired glucose tolerance and the type 2 diabetes that we unfortunately see. So, With that motivation, the study used pancreatin and found, again, this study was on monkeys, and found that it increased the glucose disappearance rate and even normalized plasma insulin levels, which, as we know, is very important. So what's also interesting with this study is that the recovering effect of pancreatin on the function of the pancreas partially remained even three weeks after discontinuation of the peptide. So with all that said, this is why many researchers are really interested in using this bioregulator pancreatin peptide for treating age-related metabolic dysfunction due to, you know, type 2 diabetes or hyperinsulinemia. Now, the last one I want to talk about is pinealon. This bioregulator peptide is a tripeptide. So it's consisting of the amino acid sequence, glutamic acid, aspartic acid, and arginine. So as you would suspect, when we think of pinealon, we think of the pineal gland. And since the pineal gland is in the brain, and controls many aspects of melatonin production and therefore circadian rhythm. And we know that melatonin plays a very important role in neuroprotection during all these aging and mental disorders. 
it's pretty unsurprising that pinealon has been used for its neuroprotective effects in a variety of studies. It's really important, however, to note that pinealon's neuroprotective properties are not all attributed to regulating melatonin production. But all in all, we know that pinealon activates gene expression, just like all these bioregulator peptides, and therefore leads to the synthesis of certain proteins involved in maintaining the neuronal functional activity. So maintaining the function of those neurons. As a result, pinealon has been shown to help combat things like Alzheimer's disease, improve memory, and even enhance circadian rhythm, among other things. So that's a pretty cool peptide. So I think we've covered some of the more well-known or famous bioregulator peptides, but do know that there are several others out there, some pertaining to things like male and sex male and female sex organs, um, and many more bioregulator peptides. So I may do another episode on those at a later date, but totally feel free to do some research into these bioregulators if they interest you. Because again, they're pretty cool. They're like the adaptogenic version of a peptide, if you think of it that way. They really work to bring the body back into balance. So before we wrap up the episode, though, I do want to talk about a few last notes about these bioregulator peptides. So for the most part, I've seen these bioregulator peptides studied using injection administration, but there are also some clinics out there that use suppliers of oral capsules or even sublinguals. Of course, the only way to know what is appropriate is to work with an appropriate peptide licensed physician, but I personally am always concerned about bioavailability. In general, sublingual has more bioavailability than things like oral capsules since Anything delivered sublingually can be absorbed within the oral mucosa, but injection, of course, kind of bypasses both of these absorption routes. So you can take that as you will. With that said, I want to just run through one peptide stack for anti-aging that is offered at a clinic I, I just saw. And the reason I want to run through this stack in particular is because it involves two of the bioregulator peptides that we talked about today. So what is this stack? It includes epitalon. We talked about that one. That's a bioregulator. It includes pinealon. That's one we also talked about and is another bioregulator. And then it also, the stack also includes BPC-157. We talked about that in a previous episode. That is a longer peptide, so it's not a bioregulator. And the stack includes NAD+. So we've got those four, four substances put together to make that anti-aging stack. 
So within that stack in particular, I'm personally a huge fan of Pinealon when it comes to bioregulators, especially for that neuroprotective benefit. But I will say that I like all four of those peptides. And though it's not a bioregulator peptide, BPC-157 has also been great for some of my previous gut issues. But BPC-157 does affect a variety of body systems. So that, that makes sense. And of course, I'm a huge fan of NAD plus patches. Um, I've got some NAD plus in my fridge right now, actually. And I'm actually about to use one of those patches. So yeah, I think this wraps up the episode. But also do remember that this stack is compiled and put together under the opinion of one clinic. So don't think it is the end-all be-all stack for anti-aging when it comes to these peptides, but it does demonstrate one way to stack these up for a more synergistic effect. Now, with that said, I think that is a great way to go ahead and end the episode today. If you liked this episode, please feel free to leave a rating or review, or go ahead and screenshot it post it to your stories over on Instagram, and tag me in it so I can personally thank you for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you guys, so thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I cannot wait to see you in the next one. Bye, guys. The content provided by the Synthesis of Wellness LLC via its podcast and domain is for informational purposes only and should not be used as medical advice or as a replacement for medical care. The Synthesis of Wellness podcast, synthesisofwellness.com, the Synthesis of Wellness LLC, and Chloe Porter disclaim responsibility from adverse effects resulting from using the content provided. Please seek and consult a licensed physician for your health and medical needs. Furthermore, Chloe Porter and the Synthesis of Wellness podcast are not responsible for the opinions of guests featured on the podcast.